I got some some notes that I want to hand out. I actually need a copy of my of them myself. I had a, I got them back there and I forgot to give myself one. Let's pray. <clears throat> How many of you guys want Chuck this morning? Good, good. I don't want me either. If all I had was me, we'd be in trouble. Lord, we we want you. Lord, we've had ourselves. We've we've had enough of us, God. We want you. We 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 love us, God, in you. But we know we know that that place where we get to choose what reality we live in. Paul said, "Put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk according to the spirit." The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life. And this morning, Lord, we we put ourselves, we put ourselves in you, Christ. We recognize, we, we put on that full armor of God. We wrap ourselves in the clothing of your resurrection. We recognize that it is no longer us. It's no longer Chuck. It's no longer any of us that live in you, but it's you that lives through us. And we just, this morning, we choose to recognize and come in agreement with your death, burial, and resurrection. And we, we grab a hold of it. We lay hold of that for ourselves this morning, that it's, it's, uh, we put off the old and put on the new. And we thank you that we get to do that by your blood and, 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 through, and, and by grace. We receive it as that free gift this morning. <clears throat> you guys, let's hand out the notes and let me get a copy as well. I want to, I'm going to talk about, let me go ahead and grab one real quick from you. I want to talk a little bit about seed. The Lord's been talking to me, and not, I don't mean that in the sense of like, y'all know when a preacher's about to ask for an offering and you start hearing everything except the word money. We got seed, and the Lord wants resource and finances, but you never hear just like the word money in church. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about spiritual seed. When the Lord is releasing seed, um, it says that the, you know, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. And there's just something really powerful about recognizing that it takes small seeds, but small seeds do big things. Can you guys agree with that this morning? Is that, is that the scripture? Jesus said with, the, the, with a mustard seed we could move a mountain. And how many of you guys know that in Lexington, Kentucky, we might be a small young colt, but it was a young colt that brought in the Lord, um, and everybody cried Hosanna in the highest. So um, just recognizing that it's, it takes those days of small beginnings. We, we don't... Um, we do not despise them. We don't despise the days where it's just, I kind of like standing over here because there's no lights in my eyes. We don't despise the, what the Lord's doing as he's cultivating the seed. Sasha and my children, um, it was really sweet. I, I came home from the, the prayer room on, on Friday, and I got back, and my sons were so excited. And, Dad, Dad, we planted sunflowers in the backyard. And they, my wife had... had uh, you know, marked each sunflower with a popsicle stick, and their names were on it. There was the Daddy Sunflower, the Mommy Sunflower, and Asher, Marshall, Samson, Isaac. And it was just really amazing. And, you know, it's, it's stuff we've, we've thought of, and, you know, it's nothing new, but realizing the cultivation that goes into the seed and, and what the Lord's doing in our life. His word is a seed, and you guys know the parable of the different soils. And, and thank God that he doesn't leave us in one place, but he actually shows us how to have a good and faithful heart. It actually says that the good ground is that person who has a good and honest heart. I can almost think of no scripture that I long for more than where it talks about a good 
and honest heart. And how many of you guys know that that's the new covenant that we're born again into? That the old covenant, it was this reality that we, our hearts had been hardened through sin, that God's law had been given, which Paul says is good and holy and righteous. And yet, we couldn't, we couldn't get, we couldn't do the holy thing, we couldn't do the righteous requirements of the law, because Sin made a way through our flesh, made a way through our weakness. Sin took the law, and it said so that it become all the more sinful. And so real, what that means is that it was like that magnifying glass. The law came to release that magnifying glass on the, the reality of the condition of humanity. And it just made it so huge, and you saw that even the seed of sin— you know, we talk about seed. Even the seed of sin, it was a small seed, Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, it's something seemingly insignificant, but in its end— Obviously, Adam and Eve lost their mortality, but in its end is death, ultimate death. In, 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 you know, death, even the second death it talks about in the book of Revelation, where even death will be thrown into the lake of fire because of God's judgment and how he will deal ultimately with sin. So I saw these seeds in the yard, and, and I saw their excitement over the seeds. And, and I honestly, I had such a really great day in the prayer room, but I recognize in the prayer room oftentimes it's just a couple of us, and that's good. That's good because he does everything with just a few people or just a few things or he's, everything starts something small. And a lot of times in our lives, especially when the Lord has given us vision, purpose, and identity, we start to think, well, I need to take the mountain in a day. But in reality, we have to walk up the mountain just as Moses did, just as Jesus did. Jesus actually, which I'll go into in a little bit in our, in our, in our text for the day, which is going to be out of uh, Luke chapter 22. And we'll see. We might get to these notes. If we don't, at least it's a study sheet for you to take home. But um, we see that Jesus had regularly scheduled appointments on the mountain. And that's his prayer room. And Jesus, you know, it says when two or more come together, do you guys think he was praying alone? No, he's with his father. He's going to the mountain, and he's conversating with his father. He's in the garden. The mountain is a garden, but it's also a mountain. The Garden of Gethsemane was located on the Mount of Olives. It's not accidental that Jesus is there. It's not accidental knowing who Jesus is as the, second, the last Adam coming in to redeem the world through his flesh and through his life, death, and resurrection. But it all starts in these small seeds. Even <laughs> the reality of the gospel is that God humbled himself and became a seed. Isn't that insane? If that doesn't blow your mind, like we need revelation. We need God to do something with our hearts. Because we, we can't do it, yet we have to lean into him and respond to him in, in our yes. But he, we need that yes to come. It's that relationship and the responsibility we have for us to open up and say, okay, change my heart. Because the reality that God, God eternal, God omniscient, God omnipotent, God who is sovereign over heaven and earth came as a seed. That should blow our minds. Jesus was a zygote. That's nuts. The original image of God, Adam and Eve, were made in the likeness and image of God. They fell. They fell from the likeness. They lost the relationship. Here comes the reconciliation, Jesus, and he becomes a zygote. How many of you guys think we ought to pray for the ending of abortion? If Jesus was a zygote, if Satan wants to destroy the image, how much more should we recognize that the image came through a seed? So is the image going to come through a seed? Are we going to take the mountain in a day in our own lives? No, if Jesus, how much more for us must we recognize that it must come in a seed, that we cannot despise the day of small beginnings? It's coming in a seed. It's coming in seed form. And this is encouraging to us. I know that for, my, for me, even when it comes to like godly disciplines and getting my life in such an order so that I'm able to respond and do the things God's called me to do, it's overwhelming. Even simple things like, hey, Chuck, uh, 
I really, like, this is the Lord and my dialogue together. Like, the other day, I, I haven't been working out, and I wanted to, I know that I need to be running. Just, it's just one of these things that the Lord's like, you need to be running, just so that you can be healthy to run your spiritual race. But, like, first in the natural, then in the spirit, it's like, you got to be running. And I'm like, Lord, you know, it's just one of those things. Having a hard time waking up in the morning, spending time with the Lord, and just the different things, whether, whether it's for work or anything, a lot of times we get overwhelmed because we, what the enemy does is he tries to show you the whole mountain. So that actually what happens is, is so that your focus can get off of what, what the Lord is saying, but your focus is on the mountain, and actually it's on the, the accuser and the enemy. And what he does is he's trying to actually get authority from you so he can take over your mountain. What you're called to walk in, what, you're called, what your purpose is. Instead of realizing through seed, through focus on the Lord, like, I mean, come on, I'm just talking about baby steps. <laughs> You know, like these little baby steps in the Lord, baby steps of obedience that cause the seed to germinate and to grow. So I get, I get into the backyard. My kids are super excited. They see the seed, and, or they, they, they're telling Dad about the seed, and I see it, and, and I'm just overwhelmed because I had been in the prayer room, and I, I recognize the day of small beginnings that the Lord's doing. And it's not just in King's Church. I can't tell you how many people I've come into contact with in the region, whether it's pastors from other churches that have come here. Uh, we had a set of pastors come here um, last Sunday uh, from Wilmore. Uh, they're taking a sabbatical, and it was just like, it was like fireworks praying with them. And uh, last night I had a meeting with another couple. I know Brad. There's just these different things to see what God's doing in our community. And it's this small beginning. You know, even uh, you could even go into like the metaphor, unless a seed goes down to the ground and dies, it cannot live. We get seed, we get vision in seed form, and then the vision gets tested. Even Christ died, and it's like, wow, the seed just died. And the, 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 the disciples, they, they scatter, right? They, they disperse, and they don't know what to do, and the seed just died. The Son of God, what our promise, the promised Messiah is dead, Yet we know the story. He's resurrected. And it's no different in our lives individually. We get seed. The Lord speaks to us. He gives us identity. He gives us purpose. He gives us calling. We get the seed. But often what happens is there's, there's, there's process that goes on. And, and there's the enemy that goes on. And you guys know, again, the parable of what happens when the seed is planted. There's good ground. There's different types of all this stuff. All of that is, is really there to, to show us how we can respond. Not how we're like default going to respond, but what's available to us if we want the Lord to come and, and make our hearts into good soil. But one of the things that happens is the enemy wants to abort the seed. He wants the seed to be brought in prematurely so that the seed doesn't have a good chance of living and a good chance to come off and live. Or, or, or even it, 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 the adverse of that would be delay delayed process. It's just this continual, what's going on, Lord? And we've seen that even all throughout Kentucky, even in the building we're in, we've seen that. That's obviously kind of one of the elephants in the room. Anytime we're meeting in this place, it's one of those things where we've seen seed, prophetic seed that's been released in this house under the canopy of what the Lord is building. The Lord is the one who builds the house. The laborers labor in vain who build it. We've seen that prophetic seed, that this place would be a place of of breakthrough and revival and and awakening, that that worship would go out in this place. And, And there's been this seed that's been released, but unless a seed goes down to the ground and dies. That's just part of the process. I'm not saying, you know, the details of all of the stuff, but it's true of all of us corporately, And it's true of all of us individually. Jesus, again, if it's true of him, how much more so is it true of us? Jesus, the seed, he comes, his first thing, he gets baptized in identity, right? He gets baptized by John the Baptist. 
This is the one who's going to take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is not worthy to untie his sandal. But here he comes, and behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he gets baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And you guys know the story. The, the, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and uh, representing the anointing, representing sacrifice. And he comes down like a dove and he hears the the father. The father speaks over him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus has not done a single earthly miracle except being the incarnate son of God. He's only been a son. He's growing in wisdom and stature with God and man. Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man and he's walking in that reality. And here he comes and he's baptized as the son, as the seed. Right? And what is that? It's, he's already in the process, process of stepping into our death. It's his whole life as he's coming and he's going to take the death. It's like, what is Jesus? He's the superhero who takes the death. He takes the death onto himself. He becomes him who knew no sin, becomes sin. And so he takes it. So Jesus hasn't done a single earthly miracle. He's baptized into sonship. But do you guys know what happens? What's the first thing that happens after Jesus is baptized? He's driven into the wilderness by Satan. No, he's driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a process that even the Son of God, fully God, fully man, the last Adam, the one who's going to reconcile humanity, has to go through the wilderness. Why? Because he just got baptized in identity. What happens to him in the wilderness? Does Satan tempt him with like, well, he kind of does, but does he tempt him with like sugary things like sweets and donuts and popsicles? And No, he tempts him with identity. If you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. If you are who you say you are, do this thing. Here, actually, here, take this authority. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll because it is Satan's. Adam and Eve had given him the authority in the garden. If you just bow down to me, you can have it all. He's tempted in this place, tempted in the same exact ways. He says he was tempted in all the ways that we are, yet without sin. And here he is. He's going through the process. The seed is going through that wilderness, and he's going through this process called, I mean, here he is. He's even preaching the cross. And he's, the thing about Jesus is he was on the cross before he was ever on the cross. Come on, y'all. Jesus has dedicated his life. He knows his purpose, and his purpose is to die, and he has shown us what the model of a Christian is, that the Christian life is a call to death. That's crazy. If it ends there, okay, let's get out of this thing and go on. Amen that he doesn't just die, but there's a resurrection. But guys, we're not going to get to, the Bible says, if we die like him, we will live like him. And many of us want to operate, we want the seed, but we don't want to go through the process of death and wilderness so that that seed can germinate. You guys know when the seed goes down to the ground, it's the process, it's the trial, it's the testing. Even, even once the roots grow deep, the wind comes and the, the, the stronger the storms, the stronger the roots. And we've been seeing that. We've seen that in this house. We've seen that in this region. This building, this church body is not the only place where, that had seed that got interrupted. It's been happening all across America. It's been happening all across the earth. And the Lord is not sitting on his throne, wringing his hands, worrying about poor leadership or poor church attendance. He is God Almighty. He is God Omnipotent. He is sitting on the throne, and he knows how to bring the seed to fullness. He knows how to bring the seed to fruition. 
and he's bringing it. There will be a harvest. He said that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. The laborers are few. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. That word send forth is ekbalo. It's the same word he would use when he cast out demons. To hurl it forth or to hurl it out, to, to rip it out is a violent sending. The Lord is bringing a harvest into this world. And I'm believing, and I know that we all are, and I know that the seed that the Lord released in this building in times past was seed of harvest, that the Lord is releasing harvest. And I know he's going to release this because he is the Lord and his word is faithful and true. It says in Isaiah 55 that your word will not return to you void. It will accomplish what you sent it to do. He even, pro he even warns us in the New Testament. Those who say I delay, don't listen to them. I will come and speedily I will do it. This is the word of the God, the word of the Lord about what he's doing. Not at one particular church's mission or one particular church's mandate. This is what God is doing in the earth is he is bringing forth the seed to fruition, bringing it forth to harvest. Now there's some other stuff that goes along with that. There's another seed that's growing as well. It's the seed of sin, and it will, become, it will come to fruition. It will grow up. We see that. The Bible says in Isaiah 60, um, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the people. As we approach the day of the coming of the Lord, darkness will increase. Sin will increase, but the Bible promises, Jesus talks about the Lord, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that there is a harvest field that is ripe. And that wasn't just the harvest field in the book of Acts. That was the tip of the iceberg of what the Lord is wanting to do. And we have personal promises, each of us. And it's like some of us, we can't even engage with the general idea of what the Lord's doing corporate because we know that we all have individual seed that the Lord is wanting to release. I've got stuff that the Lord has promised. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And, the Lord, and somebody once said that find out what the Lord is doing in your generation and throw yourself into it. And there's one thing is like we recognize that we have individual, individual seed. We have individual talents, right? The, the parable of the talents. We have these things that God's given us and gifted us with to use and to utilize. Um, but I see two, two problems is not recognizing how to throw ourselves into what he's doing corporately that can hinder us and halt us from actually uh, kind of watering the seed of our own life, stepping into our own calling. Part of that is humbling ourselves and submitting to what the Lord is doing corporate whether that's, again, in an individual church or, again, what he's doing in, in, the, in, the, in the church global, recognizing, God, what are you doing in these days? What are you releasing? I, you know, it's not just about me. I want, I want to recognize how my calling, where I set myself, where I set my watch on the wall of what you're doing in the nations. Recognizing how is he doing that? How do I, how do I fit into that puzzle? And then the other thing that I see is this, this issue of process, this issue of process. What happens if you recognize Israel, when they're coming out of Egypt, they end up in what I call like the hamster wheel of the wilderness. They're supposed to get out of the wilderness sooner than they do, but they end up in the hamster wheel of wilderness. This is my own personal testimony from 2015, honestly, till I met Brad and Megan. Um, and last, last spring, about May last spring, I really encountered the Lord in a really fresh way where it was like he was able, who is this who's coming up out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved? I had realized that I had been in a season of wilderness and I could have perpetuated it had the Lord not broke in with his word and, and, and given me the grace to respond in humility to it. And it actually brought me through some, some uh, incredible repentance and calling some people that I know and 
nothing that was super like outward, but it was stuff that I knew inward that I had done. And I needed to make things right with some folks and some pastors and some leaders in the past of mine who, who I had in my ambition sought their pulpit. I sought their authority, their power, different things that I was moving in. And I just had to say, you know what? It might not even have came out. You might not have ever seen it. But I just wanted to just say, guys, I'm sorry that in any ways in my, in my youth and my selfishness that I was driven more for gifting and driven more for ambition rather than going to the cross and carrying it. And it actually led me through breakthrough. So it actually started, it kind of got me out of the hamster wheel. You see that with Israel. They're in that proverbial hamster wheel, and they're in it for 40 years. And you guys know the story. The trip was not supposed to take that long. <laughs> and how many of us, this is... I think one of the largest issues or problems with this, at least I'll say the Western church today, is that we don't want to go to the cross and we don't want to go to the wilderness. We want to avoid the wilderness at all costs. And you do not, you cannot operate in the anointing unless you're crushed, unless you go to the cross and the anointing is, listen, the anointing is able to explode out of Jesus for resurrection power because he stepped into death. None of us are going to explode into that resurrection power until we step into, if we die a death like his, we'll live a life like his. And I think the Lord is training us and he's arming us with the hope and understanding to step into his death so that we can live into his life. So that we can go into the wilderness and recognize that man doesn't live on bread alone, but he lives on every word from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread. We actually have an arsenal at our utility. We have a history with God where we can stand on the word of God we can stand on what he said and do, and we can walk through that wilderness process, not, um, not, not, not forever, but we recognize that there's actually, there's a point to the process, and that he's actually bringing us, and the point is to get us into identity and purpose so that we can, you know, do our own ministry. No, so that we can step into what he's doing. What is he doing? How does he want to do it? So that we can step into our own calling and purpose. It's like it is that, but it's like we recognize that when I give that up, when I let my calling, my purpose, my pulpit, whatever your pulpit is, your pulpit might be your, your workplace, your cubicle. It could be, you know, the nursery, wherever it's at. You know, somebody said once, preach always. The whole life should preach. The whole life should pray. We don't just preach. If this is the first time I ever pre preach a message, I'm in trouble. My whole life is a proclamation. If it's not, I don't know that I've seen the cross the way that I'm called to see it. And I want to see the cross. The, uh, Mike Bickle, I love the way that Mike Bickle says this. He says, when you see him more, you love him more. So a lot of us are dealing with this place of process, and we're like dealing with the, the flesh, and we recognize that, you know, it takes grace to run this race. And I can't, even, I can't even drum up my own faith. I can't even drum up my own. I need God to break into my heart, remove that heart of stone, and put in a heart of flesh so that I can actually do and have the faith and the boldness to step into the mountain. No, to step into the seed. I can't even look at the mountain because the mountain is overwhelming. <laughs> How many of us get overwhelmed by the mountain? We see, just like Israel, when they're at the foot of the mountain, right? There's, and, and what's so good about the new covenant is, is we don't, we're not even coming up to that mountain with smoke and lightning. We come up to the heavenly mountain, New Jerusalem. And it's like, guys, we have the torn veil. We come up to the heavenly mountain. But even still, we, the Bible says we could, should approach that throne of grace with boldness. But even still, we, we see the, the mountain of life and we stand back and we go, the mountain is too big. I can't. And we're like Israel and we're trying to stay back from the mountain. Just send Moses. Just send, you know, the prophet. Just send, you know, Mike Bickle or, you know, whoever 
whatever it is, your favorite theologian, whatever you want to say. It's like, let's, but the Bible says that we're a kingdom of priests and we're all called to that mountain now. And the thing is, is that Jesus has supplied everything to life and godliness, namely his resurrection, namely his own body on the cross. And we have him. That's what grace is. You want a real quick definition of grace? It's Jesus. Is it more than that? Is it his power? Is it his, is it his divine favor, uh, the gift of, to, of righteousness to you who don't deserve it? Absolutely. But it was literally the gift coming as a seed, living a perfect holy life, and then the seed dying on the cross, and then being resurrected in newness of life, and then releasing an army of little seedlings. And that's what we are. We're Christians. And we cannot do it on our own. Amen. We wouldn't want to. It's like starting the message. Do you guys want Chuck or Jesus? It's like, no, we want to be, we want the full seed of him to come into us and, and, and germinate and sprout and create who we're called to be in reality. But what happens is we get overwhelmed by the fullness of it, and, and we think, oh, well, I have all of these responsibilities in life, and I have all of the, the things, the to-do list, and it's like those things are real, and God wants us to be able to walk in our responsibilities and all, that, all those things. But what, I mean, if this message is anything, I don't know what this message is because it's not on the notes, but if this message is anything, it is how do we take those baby steps into sonship? How do we take those baby steps into faith where it's like, you know what, as simple as just saying, God, give me boldness. And I'm telling you guys, if you pray that prayer, some of us just need boldness to get up in the morning. If we pray that prayer, he will answer it. It says in James, if you ask for wisdom, he will give it without, without um, what's the word? You know, he'll give it without, uh, yeah, you guys know the, the, the verse. But it says pray, and when you ask, ask in faith. So we ask that in faith, knowing that he, he doesn't give a stone to his children when they ask him for bread. Okay, let's get into the text. So I just wanted to go into that, guys, because there's just something about what he's doing in small beginnings. He's releasing something in small beginnings. He's releasing seed, seed time and harvest, you know. Um, some of that, you know, in, in all, again, it's in all areas of our life. Some of it is going to be in our money. He wants us to sow seed in money. Again, it's, it's not about king's church. It's about his kingdom. What is he, how do we give him our, you know, where the heart is, there your treasure will be, right? Or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's like, so whatever it is, it's the smallest thing. Some of the most significant things of impact in my life have been what seemingly in the moment was insignificant. You know, I've, I've been in the kind of charismatic world for a long time. And it's just, I don't know, I didn't live, when I got born again, I got born again in 2007, I'm, I'm, and, and again, just walking through the, the life of the new birth every single day, and, and in 2007, um, I, I didn't have much church-like experience. Uh, I grew up in church, but it wasn't, you know, it was good, but we kind of, you know, we would, there was a long season where I just wasn't very church, I should say. And most of that was in my, you know, young adult life, and, and I was just rebelling uh, from God and, and just running and doing my own thing. So when, when, when what happened, in about 2006, I'm driving in my car, and uh, I'm, I'm leaving a girl's house, and I hear the Lord speak to me in my heart for the first time. And, and if you've never had that happen to you, I would just say that this book is amazing, but if God doesn't speak to us, I love this book. This is God's word. This is God's word. But if, if God, if I got married and I gave my wife a letter and then never talked to her again, what kind of relationship would that be? Okay? So 
God speaks to me in 2006, and I, again, I'll just put it this way. You can take it for however you want it. In 2006, I, I wasn't looking for God. I was looking for, for girls and um, looking to just live my own kingdom. And he, he said all kinds of things, but what, what really struck me was that, that it, 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 it propelled me into this reality where I didn't know how to do church as usual. And it's like, you guys may see that. It's like, I don't know how to do, like, the normal thing. Like, I don't know how to come to church and just check off the box. That's, I've never lived it. Because God, in 2006, apprehended me. Actually, 2007, February, apprehended me into this bizarre life of fasting and prayer and living radically submitted to God. Now, okay, that's not to say, hey, Chuck, I was so disqualified. And he took that disqualified seed, poured the water of his spirit on it, baptized me with fire, and I haven't been able to live the same since. I was addicted to drugs. I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to porn. I was addicted to nail biting. I was addicted to everything you can imagine. And in, in a couple of moments, not just that one moment when he spoke to me, I didn't even change yet. He, one of the things he said was, hey, stop trying to sleep with that girl. You should honor her. And I didn't listen. He said, stop getting drunk with her. You should honor her. And I didn't listen, and I kept going and trying to hang out and manipulate and use her. And then, you know, just kept living the life for a little while until a friend of mine, Josh Karadman, and I've told this story once before. Uh, Josh Karadman and I, we both uh, kind of got apprehended by the Lord around the same time, Keegan Weatherford, um, and, and then like a large group of others. It's just God was doing something special, and he's still doing it. He hasn't stopped, is my point, is that we are on a hinge point right now, where right now it seems like everyone's asleep, or it seems like the tide has gone out. But people have said the wave is coming, but it looks like something else has happened. And it's like, God, can you move like that again? I can't tell you how many people can, that I know my age can point back either a reconversion experience or they came to the Lord for the first time in that time frame. So many people my age, young adults, 20 to 25-year-olds, who came to the Lord in 2006, 2004 to like 2010 because of what God was doing in, in, in the earth, and he's still doing, and he's always moving, and people are obviously always coming to the Lord. But it was a seed. It was just this small thing, and I, and I didn't know what was happening, and I got caught up in it, and I have not known how to do just the normal whatever it is. I don't know what the routine is. I don't want to know. I mean, like, I believe every, he does everything decently and in order, right? But his order is, it's not the order of man. I mean, it's so far above. You read in, in Genesis chapter 1, you see the way that he begins to create heaven and earth. And he creates the fish and the birds. And he creates these mirrored married pairs. Even Adam and Eve. And you see there's this connection that everything is, is, is called to be mirrored and married together. Man and woman, earth and sky, heaven and earth. And you begin to see how God has set up this heavenly order. And, and obviously there's chaos. The Holy Spirit's hovering over the chaos. He's hovering over the darkness. And our primary role as, as the family of God on the earth was to release the reality of Eden and spread it. He put man in the garden. It says that he, in Genesis 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, I think it's verse 15, it says that he put man, he, he, it says that he planted, a, this is what's amazing, is we, a lot of us think that Eden was the, Eden was the whole earth. It says that he put the garden in Eden and put the man in the garden. And then it says, so that the man could work it and keep it. 
So mankind, this is in the garden. Work, how many of you guys know work is not a result of the fall? How many of you guys, come on, raise your hand. How many of you guys have felt work that's, that feels like this is the fall? It's because it is, right? Because there's two modes of being. Because Adam did fall. And Psalm 127 shows us a different type of work. It says, uh, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord God uh, watches over the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. It says, do not go to, it says, do not wake up early and retire late to eat the bread of anxious toil. What's anxious toil? It's that sweat of your brow. It's that place where Adam had fallen from the relationship. He had fallen. He had, they had bit the fruit of the lie of identity. They had stepped in. Well, surely God has not said. And they begin toiling according to their own work and according to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't need the tree of life. I don't need relationship. I can do ethics on my own. I can, I can do theology on my own. I can do all this stuff on my own. Just give me the knowledge. Just give me the, the good and the evil. I'll figure it out on myself. The tree of life. Ugh, what's that? That's the story of the fall of man, and we stepped into that. That's the seed form, that seed of sin that entered into the world. But the point is, is that God had released a calling on humanity. He had released a mandate on humanity to spread forth and multiply. And his vision for this was family. And I know, you know, many of us, we have broken families. I mean, that's, listen, this is the story of reality is that, listen, you think your family was broken. God's family was broken from the beginning. God's family is the broken family. But Jesus said his body could, was broken so that we would remember and put back together the family or put back together his body, right? He said, do this in remembrance of me. And he blesses the, blood and the bread and he breaks it. Do this in remembrance. He remembered. He started to put back together the members of the body, the members of the family. And you see this all throughout the scripture. And I'm not going to get into the, to the text. I'll, 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 I'll give you guys an overview and you guys can... You guys can be good Bereans and go make sure that I'm, I'm doing my homework. In Luke chapter 22, we see Jesus bringing the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's on the Mount of Olives. And here's the correlation that you're supposed to be seeing. Here's what Luke wants you to see. This is why some people are like, well, how come the Gospels don't say the same thing in each Gospel? Because you need to get these different perspectives so you have a better picture of what's being done. The reason, so this story is in all four Gospels, but the reason that you see the word Gethsemane is not used in Luke chapter 22 is because you need to know that it's on the Mount of Olives. You need to know that it was in Gethsemane in a garden, but you also need to know that the garden was a mountain. Why is that important? Eden wasn't just a garden. Eden was the garden of pleasure. In Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 13, it's talking about Satan. He said, I got it. Let's turn to it. Ezekiel 28. Give us an idea of how the seed came into the world and who this snake was that was talking to our original parents. It says in, cha in chapter 28 of Ezekiel, verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone. And here's what you need to know about these descriptions of precious stones. This is the, the, the Hebrew writer's way of letting you know this is a divine being. This is a member of the heavenly host who has rebelled against Yahweh. This isn't just, hey, there's some stones here. What is all that about? This is about, this was a royal prince of the heavenly host, and he has rejected and rebelled against God. You were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, 
and crafted in gold, again, just these ideas of shimmery beings. How many oftentimes do you guys see Jesus, even in the theophanies in the Old Testament, when the Son of God, the, the angel of the Lord is manifest and he's shining like bronze? It's the way that the writers want you to know this is not a normal person. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus, and he's showing up on the scene because he's moving and getting stuff done. Even in the book of Revelation, we see it in the same way. And here he is. It says, you were crafted in gold. Gold was your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed guardian cherub. I placed you on the holy mountain. So verse 13 says, you were in Eden. Verse 14 says, uh, <clears throat> that you were placed on the holy mountain of God. You recognize that this place, what Eden was meant to be, it's that touch point of heaven and earth. Why do you think later on when we get to the story of Babel, what they build is this tower to touch heaven. What is that? It's a man-made mountain. Many scholars believe that the Tower of Babel was a ziggurat. It's a man-made mountain. What's the point of that? It's because we wanted to exalt ourselves as God. We had come under the demonic reign of Satan. We'd come under the divine re- the, the, that, the, that rebellious being, the first rebel, and we're operating under his will and his way. It's the seed. And we know that the seed had spread quite quickly because God, what does he do? We think, oh, well, the flood, God was so evil that he flooded the earth. You know, we have, a, we have issues with this. Guys, we don't recognize the type of evil that had been unleashed in the earth. That It says that all had fallen. It says that all had gone astray and all of their thoughts were evil day and night. Have you ever imagined what it would be like? And I've, I've lived in that reality. That's where I was at in 2006. All my thoughts were evil all the time. I couldn't control them even. You know, I would have fantasies and demonic fantasies and things that were completely perverse and they would just run through like a ticker tape in my mind. I would have dreams and just, just visions while I'm sleeping and just horrible, horrible images. All of my thoughts were evil. While you're in that place, while you're under the mode of Adam, you're in that place of flesh and carnality and you're staying under that place. The thing that's so amazing about the, about the gospel is that through the torn veil of Jesus, through the flesh of Jesus, he has made a way for us to step out of that place of anxious toil by faith in his grace. Well, that's the seed and then God, you know, floods the earth and you guys know the story and he deals with that and what does he do? What's the first thing that God does after the, the flood? He reestablishes the family. He saves a remnant. He says, family is going to be the weapon in the hand of the Lord, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, Psalm 127.4, are the children of one's youth. God is reestablishing family and order. And I'm telling you what, churches that do not come under God's divine family, and it's just going to be church as usual, pulpit ministry is the, is the first place, and that's the only thing, and it's going to be one-man shows and all this stuff. These churches, are going, we're going to see them go under over and over and over again. They will flop because God's divine order is so that the, the apostles, prophet, teachers, evangelists, and what, which one did I miss? Which one? I said that one. So pastors, whatever. The fivefold is, the, is Ephesians 4 so that these people do the work of ministry? No. It says so they, they can equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So that the body of Christ, the family of God, goes out in their calling, recognize their redeemed purpose, and fulfills the Great Commission. And what's the Great Commission? So this is the point. This is the point. What time is it? The point is, is that in what you see happening through the context of, of the entire scriptures is that God is reestablishing. This is, again, what are we doing here? God does not need us. There's nothing logical about your existence. 
If you think there is, you, you, you need to understand that the atheists who do not, do not believe in God and they just live according to their own way and then people who commit suicide when they get so deep down that dark trail, when they understand, they, they, they really start to grasp in that mode of being, there is no logical reason for me to be here. So they, they kill themselves. Or they, you know, whatever, they, they spend their wiles on, you know, whatever it is, the pleasures of the flesh. There is no logical reason except that there's a God who in and of himself is a family. We have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The very, so he is, what does he do? So God so loved the world that he gave up his only Son. God is a God who begets, he creates, he releases his creation in and of himself. Not because he needs us, but because he wants us. This is what is so amazing about who this God is. That he, for God so loved the world, the entire cosmos, the word world there in Greek is cosmos. He wanted to set the whole world in order through his divine family. Through we have this idea that the word sons of God just is used in the, in, the, in the New Testament. Guess what? It's not a New Testament word. It's an Old Testament word. And I challenge you to go look that up. Get an idea that being a son, being adopted into the family of God doesn't just mean you have access to the refrigerator. It means you have authority in the heavenly realm. It means that you go boldly. When we pray our weak little, little prayers, whether I feel it or not or see it or not, I am standing in the throne room of Christ Jesus boldly before the throne of grace and saying, Father, release revival. Father, save my family. God, help me in my finances. God, we need breakthrough in a job. God, you need to come through and give me a new heart because it's not enough that I just don't feel you today. He wants to come. Listen, we are supposed to have a new heart. The, the, the commandments of the Lord, is the, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is not something we can do in Adam. That's not something we could do through the law. That is something that we do by grace we are able to live out the first commandment, to love. He, because the promise, even in Jeremiah, and we see it in Hebrews, that the promise is that he will remove that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. A seed. He wants to give us a seed. He wants to give us a heart. He wants to plant his heart in your chest and let that begin to germinate and grow so that what? So that you can bloom the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You can live in joy, peace, love, joy, peace, righteousness, gentleness, you know, self-control, all those things. Long-suffering, wilderness, so that you can go through the wilderness and know how to do it so that you can know that there's a purpose in it, that the seed didn't just fall to the ground and die. This, this child is only asleep. That's what he said of the girl that he resurrected. She's not, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And I've tell, I tell you, we've prayed prayers in this room. We've had nights of prayer were so powerful where we were prophesying, she is not dead. I'm back here, and I'm listening to prophetic words from Dutch Sheets stored on this hard drive, on this computer. There's prophetic promise planted in the ground of what the Lord was doing in this room, in this house, and it is not dead, it is only asleep. And it takes an army, a family, getting together to say, God, resurrect the heart of what you were doing. Resurrect my heart. I want to step into this in seed form. Even if it's a small yes, even if it's a weak yes, I believe that it's going to do something. When these people come in here, we're like, oh, well, they just clearly dropped it. It's just like Jesus died on the cross. Well, he must have missed that prophetic word. Here we are. We thought he was the Messiah. He must have really, man, Jesus missed that. Like, we, he was talking about, you know, the, the kingdom coming and his will being done. And 
we've been with them for three years and we've seen all this stuff, like the two fools on the road to Emmaus. And then he breaks the bread. What happens? Their eyes are illuminated and they begin to see him. Why? Because they see that the breaking, that place of where the, the breaking of the bread comes in and you remember the body of Christ that died. This is the, the, it talks, this is the mystery of the gospel is that we are stepping in spiritually, mystically. We step in to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. If we die like him, we live like him. So, <clears throat> I have notes. And I love, I love the context of these notes. And I'm going to probably just jump into I don't know if Bill is up there. So the Lord was speaking to me um, Friday, or actually, I mean, he's, it's, it's been this constant, this week has been really amazing. Um, Wednesday night prayer was really, really awesome, and I, I did things a little differently. I set up a little table of communion right here, and uh, I have this book called Christ and the Fine Arts, and it's just different, different renaissance artwork that has been, you know, throughout the ages and throughout the years, uh, and it, it, it's just an incredible book, and it gives some interpretation to some of the art, and it's like a conversation starter, and uh, I <clears throat> put the, the book right in front of communion, just felt like the Lord was like, and then we set up sections all throughout this room, and each section would have three points of prayer focus, and we just would sit and commune with the Lord in prayer over Israel, over the United States, over Kentucky, and communion, and just free prayer, however we wanted to pray. And the first thing we did was communion, and that's how I got to Luke 22. Um, and he says, stay with me, pray, so you don't step into temptation. And let me read this, because this is, this is one thing. I'll skip down to right here. It's... Uh, <clears throat> Let's see, it's under Roman numeral number seven. So I've got, I've got right there, I've got Matthew, let's see, or is that Luke? Stay dressed for action. You guys see that Roman numeral five? Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come from the wedding feast so they may open the door to him at once when he knocks. Blessed is those servants. Blessed are those servants whom their master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself. This is Jesus, guys, this is incredible. He says, truly I say to you, Jesus will dress himself for service. You guys, we don't understand the humility of this man. He will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man because he is coming at an hour you do not, do not expect. So if when we consider these words, it says be dressed for action. It actually means to be to gird yourself, to gird up your loins and be prepared to run. It's like Habakkuk chapter 2. It says, I've set my watch on the rampart so I can see what he is saying. So there's something about vision that is seed. We see what he's saying. How do you see what someone says? You hear with your heart. You see what he's saying. Lord, what are you saying today? So we catch the vision, and he says to run with the vision. Write it on tablets and make it plain. What is your heart supposed to be? It's supposed to be a living epistle. Tablets written on hearts, human hearts, not made with ink, but written on human hearts. 
So this is the priority. I don't want to get this across because I believe that this is the seed form. As we step into this, this will be the thing that actually gets us out of our hamster wheel and into the faith and grace that it takes to actually step into the process of what God wants to do and release in our life. And it's just called prayer, which is just simply communion with him. That's not a part of the message. (laughs) All right. Roman numeral number seven. The, pri- the number one priority of the temper, the tempter is to lull our hearts into spiritual sleep and apathy. Number one priority. He is not afraid of you. Listen, th- <laughs> apathy is more dangerous than like outright rebellion. Like the person who is like in so much pain that they're living so wild. Here's the thing is they feel it and they know that it's that they're messed up. That person is closer to a revelation than somebody who's numb and asleep in their own heart. I've been there. That's where I was in the last three years. From 2015 to 2018, I was driving on my bread route. Now, it wasn't like fully like, the point is the girl's not dead. She's only asleep. But it's like I had recognized my heart had become hard. My heart had become cold. And my heart had started to be lulled to sleep by the tempter. And one of the primary focuses of prayer is to protect us from temptation. Jesus, even in the Lord's Prayer, pray that, you know, Father, protect me from temptation. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one or from evil. The number one priority of the tempter is to lull our hearts to spiritual sleep and apathy. The number one priority of prayer is to stir our hearts awake in the love of God. The number two, I'll give you scripture for that. The number two priority of prayer is to be dressed in readiness for action, ready to run with the message of the king and his arrival. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, if you guys were here for the last time I spoke, it says that pray always that you do not lose heart. The primary function of prayer is not to release the kingdom. Here's the point. It is, listen, work with me here. The nuance is that when your heart comes alive, the kingdom is released. The primary function, pray always that you not lose prayer. The point of Luke 18 and all of these points is that Jesus is talking about keeping your heart alive and being prepared for his arrival. Because he says, in a little while, I'll go. Right now I have to suffer. You want to know when the kingdom is coming. Dress yourself in readiness. And here's the point. Let me give you a little bit of eschatology behind this. Whether he comes back tomorrow or one million years from now, Our job as the church is to prepare our current generation to set their watch on the rampart, teaching them how to put oil in their lamps. You guys know the parable of the ten virgins. Those who had oil in their lamps, five had oil, five had no oil. The job is, is go get your oil. Go set your watch on the rampart. Find your garden. Get into the garden. Where is your garden? The garden of prayer. The mountain you're called to work in. You're not going to find that mountain. You're not going to find that calling without stepping into the garden of prayer. And that's what's so incredible, even I think prophetically about this building, where it's located right now. If Eden is the prayer room in the, in the beginning of, of time, it's that place, it's that garden of prayer. It's that place where we develop intimacy with the Lord. And it's also that mountain where we go out and we establish his kingdom and we release it. If that's what Eden is, and if Jesus in Gethsemane begins to undo what was lost in Adam, he begins to sweat as of drops of blood. And the disciples, they can't stay awake. We know the story. They're falling asleep. You couldn't tarry with me even for an hour. 
Peter, James, and John, they've been with him on a mountain before. They've, they've seen the transfiguration. They know what it's like to be with Jesus on the mountain. But this isn't that same experience where they see him transfigured in his glorified reality, seeing Yahweh manifested. They see that this is the one, this preexistent one. This is the one, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the prophets saw. James, Peter, and John, they've seen this man on the mountain before. This is what's so incredible about Luke 22. As it says, this was his, as was his custom. He says, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And there he prayed about a, about a stone's throw away. They are, they've seen him on the mountain before. And he takes, in, in the other context, in Matthew, it says that he takes Peter, James, and John aside. And he says, tarry with me in prayer. And you guys know the story. He asks them three times to pray. Or he actually, he asked the Lord three times, Father, if it is your will. It's, it's a manifestation. It's the reality of his humanity that he is going to drink this cup. And I don't know if we fully really engage with the reality of what this cup is that he's going to drink. That he's going to drink full the wrath of God against sin. This Jesus, everything we talked about, the seed the seed of sin that came in through Adam and Eve, that came in through the serpent, that germinated and growed where it grew to the point where it says all of their thoughts were evil all day long. In Romans, it talks about Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. It says, you, O man, are without excuse. This is the gospel. The gospel is that we are without excuse. In and of ourselves, in the flesh, our thoughts are evil. But in Christ, we have given access. We are given access, it says, to think on things that are above in Jesus, where Jesus is at. The gospel is the undoing of the fall. It is Christ in his body dying on the cross, stepping into the reality of death, taking what the wages of sin are, fully drinking the cup of God's wrath, fully drinking the cup of God's wrath against sin. The Father and the Son have come into an agreement even before time began, and they said, we'll do it. We'll drink the cup. And the disciples earlier, they said, hey, you know, can, can we sit at your right hand or your left? They, wanna, they want the anointing. They want to walk in their gifting. Hey, let's, we, we want the reward. And Jesus goes, can you drink the cup? Will you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? He says, are you going to drink this cup? He said, you will drink the cup. You will drink the cup. And that cup is the cup of God's wrath. And they did drink it. And, but we also know that they had incredible failure in the process. Peter, he can't even stand in front of a slave girl. Just a few moments right here, just a few moments after Gethsemane, Peter, he's like staying back at a distance. He's trying to like, I want to see him, but I don't want to get too close. He's like, I love this man, but I'm afraid. And that's the reality of the disciples is that they've been in this place. They can't stay awake in the garden. They can't set their watch in the rampart. In, in and of themselves, they fall asleep. Their hearts, it's like in the Song of Solomon. And I want you to, to see the connection here is that in, in the garden, there's, this, there's something about the Song of Solomon where it says, though I sleep, my heart is awake. There's something about recognizing ourselves as the beloved, that, that he loves us. Even in Psalm chapter 127 when it says, he goes, even when you sleep, he says, I give rest to my beloved in Psalm 127. There's something about recognizing that as we step into this place of faith and trust in God, that even if we sleep, our hearts can be awake. But there's something about this sin and this lulling into temptation that it causes us, even if we're awake, our hearts are asleep. And there's something about the body of Christ right now where, again, just, just regionally, globally, that this is the, this, the plan of Satan is that he wants people to be physically awake but spiritually asleep. 
He doesn't care if your pain is so great that you know it or not. He'd rather you just kind of drift in numbness. Because you're not dangerous when you're numb. What does Jesus say in the book of Revelation? I wish that you were hot or cold. That's my story in 2015. Is the Lord, in his, in his grace, kind of woke me up out of the places that I was numb and didn't even know it. And I think that this house is going to be a house of awakening. I really believe that God is releasing a third great awakening in America. And I'm praying for it one way or the other. I'm asking for it one way or the other. And I'm believing for this house to be a house of uh, great prayer, great harvest, and great awakening. And I believe that that's part of the seed that the Lord's released in Kentucky. Kentucky is a state with 120 counties. I believe Kentucky is an upper room state. I believe that God has called Kentucky to tarry with him in the place of prayer. Say, will you not tarry with me just a little while? Will you stay awake with me? And the number one thing, it's not just simply so that you can be prepared for my arrival. That's part of it. But that's not why I did it. I did it so that we could be one. I want you to see yourself as my beloved. I want your heart to be fully alive, fully awake, so that you can run the race that you're called to run. We do these things called unbridled prayer. There's a reason we call it unbridled prayer. It's, it's not a new prophetic word. It's not something that King's Church has made up. This is, this is a word for this state. If that means it's a word for this state, it means it's a word for you. That God wants you to be free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And what happens is when we recognize ourselves in the love of God, it's the bridal, it's the bridegroom reality. When we recognize that if I bridle myself to him, if I recognize myself in his love, he unbridles me in the place of freedom. But what's happening in the world is we're either unbridled in us or we're unbridled in him. And how many of you know what does unbridled mean? It means to cast off restraint. We want to do it our way. God's going, no. You cannot do it your way. That way is death. It's it's Uzzah in in uh, in, in in the is it in Chronicles where uh, Chronicles where he he reaches out. He's got good intentions, but he's in the flesh. He's in his way. He puts his hand out in the ark of God to steady it. Good intentions with very negative results. This thing is sacred. This is the spirit of Almighty God. And a lot of times, what happens is we've stepped out because we want the seed to grow. We want the seed to germinate. We've stepped out and we've tried to grab it and do it our way. And what happens, it just perpetuates the wilderness, perpetuates the death. Thank God, you know, we don't have Ananias and Sapphira happening in our churches right now. But, I mean, it, this is, that's New Testament reality. Stepping out in our own way. I mean, today, if, we, if the Holy Spirit moved like that, we would say that, that's clearly a, a false prophet church. There's something going on. There's a false message in that church. But guys, that's our Bible, that God is so concerned about this seed that when harvest is happening, when the seed is growing, that if you hold back and you lie in your flesh, like what's happening with Ananias and Sapphira, it will kill you. And it's actually God's mercy on you. Because what would germinate from that response would be way worse than just that moment. I believe it was actually God's mercy on Ananias and Sapphira, keeping them from perpetuating a cycle of selfishness and hiding and, and all this stuff. I mean, they're going right back into the, to the uh, Adamic reality of covering themselves up with fig leaves. Well, let's hide our little portion. Let's hide our part of the, of the land. Let's hide our part of the thing. And the way that you stay from hiding is you come out of hiding, you take off the fig leaves, you come out from shame, and you come back into the garden. He's walking there in the garden waiting for you in the cool of the day. And I would like to submit that the garden is the place of prayer. 
It's not the prayer room. The prayer room is meant to be a garden, but a prayer room can just be dead man's bones. It's not about the room. It's about the hearts in the room. And if the hearts in the room are alive, if the hearts of the room are connected with the reality of, of who God is, who Jesus is, that he is, though my heart sleeps, I am awake. Though, 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 though I sleep, my heart is awake. So that's what you see is you see this, this uh, connection between the garden, the garden in Genesis and the garden in Gethsemane. And you even see it in, in the Song of Solomon in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Come into my garden, my beloved. He says, come into my garden. And then she says, though I sleep, my heart is awake. And he begins to pursue her. And she doesn't, she's kind of like, she's a little drowsy. He's, he's covered in the oil of intimacy and she's kind of fallen asleep. I don't want to get up out of bed. And he goes off into the city and she goes off to find him. And she cannot find him. Have you seen my beloved? And who finds her? It's the watchman. You know, point me to him. Where is my beloved? And I believe that this is part of what the Lord's doing in, in this area is he's waking us up. He's bringing us into communion and unity with us. And the good news is that it's, we can't do it ourselves. Is that it's actually him that's going to come and supply the water for our seed, the seed of our heart, and the grace to cause us to, to be revived and have personal revival that leads to corporate revival. I want to show you guys a clip. Is Bill, is Bill back there? Can you show? So the title of the notes are Sleeping Beauty for a reason. The Lord was speaking to me, and I found this clip. And it's funny because there's health bars, so you video game nerds are going to love this. Check this out. And I want to kind of give a little bit of interpretation for it because I really believe the Lord is speaking kind of, if you imagine this as a metaphor, a prophetic metaphor, if we can get the sound. If we can't get the sound, it's okay. That's Prince Philip, obviously. And I just want to say, we're in Kentucky. Thinking of the prophetic metaphor, we're in Kentucky. Philip means horse, horse servant or horse lover or, or friend of the horse. Getting some help from the Trinity there. Flaming darts of the enemy. It's about five minutes. Lies, accusation, crowing at you. Know, I think we know no. who that is. <laughs> it's interesting that she goes up to the tower.
forest of thorns shall be his tomb. Born through the skies on a fog of doom. Now go with a curse and serve me well. Round Stephen's castle. What's the name of Satan in scripture? Spell. The prince and power of the air. wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers, principalities, and the heavenly places. And then these, what's incredible is that these thorns and thistles surround Stephen's castle. Stephen means crown. Again, Philip, I want you guys to kind of consider Philip from the, uh, the Apostle Philip. Manifestation of Satan? <laughs> what are you going to do? And really, really listen to the words when they, when it comes to the end. this fight scene was. Stop it. So I just felt like I, I came across this um, Thursday, I think, afternoon. And I just think this is such a great metaphor. She falls off into, you know, into the crevice there and, you know, obviously dies. But it's just there's something about what is happening in Kentucky. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. There is something after the seed, right? There's something after God's plan on the earth that wants to to crush it out and kill it to wrap it if you if it goes on we could play the rest of it if you remember the story what story is this just pause it cuz we might finish it we might not i know it's getting kind of long it's sleeping beauty and what happens sleeping beauty aurora what does aurora mean aurora means dawn philip philip in the bible is called the evangelist what i see is i see the evangelist coming out and exactly it's you guys want to, can you guys hang in with me? I know it's, a, it's, it's about a five-minute video. I, maybe I'll just talk about it, and we'll, we'll call it a day. I'm trying to release some prophetic vision of what the Lord's doing. I believe it's metaphor where he's doing how there is a sleeping beauty. It's called his church. And what he's trying to do is awaken the dawn. 
Aurora means dawn. How is he going to awaken it? He's going to awaken it to a heart who gets resurrected in love and gets released in evangelism. It's awakening us on the mountain of prayer to release us into the, in the mountain of evangelism. So Aurora, she wakes up how? By the kiss. Kiss me with the kisses of your word in the Song of Solomon. Kiss me. Let the sword of truth fly straight and true. And it cuts down the lies and accusations that have surrounded the castle. How many of you guys know that at one point this castle was surrounded? Come on. You guys know it's true. That the enemy wanted to see the seed of what God was releasing in here, disrupted and destroyed, and he wanted to release a a shrub of thorns around it so that, why? So that the king, who, who the kings of the castle would fall asleep. It wasn't just Sleeping Beauty that was asleep. It was the whole town. So the whole town is under a spell of slumber. The number one goal of the enemy is to lure us into sleep, to lure us into spiritual slumber. And the number one priority of prayer is to awaken your heart to love, dress you for readiness, and release you, us, into the world in evangelism. Why? to redeem the family and restore and release the seed. All right, why don't we stand up? And I'll give a little bit about the, waking, the awakening the dawn thing because I think it's important. The awakening the dawn thing, there's, it's a movement of, of, of prayer that has gone uh, all over the, 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 the nation um, originally beginning with a ministry called The Call, but branched out from The Call and in Kansas City. And, and, and it's, so the Awakening the Dawn movement was something last, uh, in 2017, they had 50 tents, 50 tents set up with ministries all over the country doing day and night worship in Washington, D.C. Can you imagine? The news media didn't cover any of this. There's thousands of Christians in Washington, D.C. You think the news media would cover it. Why? But no, because they want us to stay asleep. The enemy wants us to stay asleep. He doesn't want this to go viral. He doesn't want this in the, in the good sense. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't want this to go out and spread. But there was Christians covering Washington, D.C. with night and day prayer and worship. There were people who were being healed of demons, set free from demonic oppression. They were getting lit on fire in love on Washington, D.C. for three days, night and day. It was happening. They were going out in the streets in the middle of the night, going out and proclaiming. The thing about Philip, the thing about Kentucky, tying back in the whole horse servant thing, is that this state is called the state of the unbridled spirit, or it's the un Kentucky unbridled spirit. And the point is, is that we have been praying and believing for the unbridling of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, he is God, he is sovereign, but he's looking for agreement. He will not move without us because he wants us. He will not move. Now, it's, will we saddle up and ride? You know, will we come in agreement with what he's doing? And the thing is, what I think is so interesting about Philip is Philip is the one who meets the Ethiopian eunuch while the Ethiopian eunuch is trying to understand Isaiah 53, and he's reading about the suffering servant. And the Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized because he, he, Philip un, un, you know, teaches the scriptures to him and he shows him the way of Messiah. And there's a pool right there. Hey, let's get you dunked. Let's baptize you. And here's Philip. He, you don't hear anything else about Philip. But Philip is the person who brought us the Eastern Church. Philip is the one who brought in what we know as the Byzantine reality, like the, the world of the Byzantine Church. What we know is the early church fathers, the Eastern Church back in the day. So Philip created a way he was known as the evangelist and i believe that what's we're we're moving into is as the lord is awakening our hearts is he's releasing a move of evangelism that we're going to see jesus the evangelist rise up and that is the point of the awakening the dawn and here's the thing that's so good about that is a lot of us even myself included i don't even know if i'm ready for it 
I don't know that my heart is there, but I want to be dressed in readiness. I want to believe in his sovereign grace that would come in and touch my heart and remove the hard places of my heart and release me to run the race. It says in Psalm 119, verse 32, I will run the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Can we believe for God to enlarge our hearts this morning? All right, let's pray. I don't even think we're going to do music, Brian. I think we'll just go. You just want to go? Do you want to sing a song? It's up to you. Let's just go. All right. I'm going to pray. It's up to you. All right. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I would invite you guys, if you want to respond to the message, to come up for prayer. Um, if you want to respond to you say, okay, you know, I don't fully, I don't fully, I, Lord, I don't fully, I don't know fully, no, none of us know, but Lord, there's something about my heart, and I need you to come and unbridle it. I need you to give me a new heart. I need fresh fire from the Holy Spirit. I need you to come, and we need it in our state, and maybe, maybe if you don't need it for you, maybe we just need it for Kentucky, and if you're not feeling anything, you can just come up and pray and intercede between the porch and the altar. We need ministers, and that's not just people in this pulpit. We need a body of ministers. We need a church body who have given their lives to prayer and weeping for the, the, the state and condition of the bride and saying, God, we need an unbridled move in Kentucky. We need an unbridled move of the Holy Spirit all throughout the nation. Kentucky is the buckle of the Bible belt. We need you to come and unbuckle this thing, God. We need you to unbuckle this bridle and release the Holy Spirit with fire. We need you to come and move. God, it's not about quantity. It's about quality that you would come and give us the quality of heart, a true and honest heart to move and see you move, to see the Holy Spirit released like in the day of Cane Ridge, like in the day of old, but not even like it. Something fresh, something brand new, something we've never even seen before. And it's like, Lord, I can't, it's, that's so big. That's the mountain. Well, let's step in. Let's ask for a seed this morning. So, Father, this morning, we recognize that there's a mountain. There's a castle. There's even a high place that the enemy would like to occupy and release Release his words over the seed. Release his way over the seed and, and tempt us and keep us in sleep and slumber and confusion and, and keep us on the hamster wheel, grinding our gears under Adam when you've called us to live in Christ. So, Father, this morning we ask you in Jesus' name to help us with grace. Put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk according to the Spirit. We ask you, Father, to come and revive our hearts. Lord Jesus, I ask you for my own life and my heart and the heart of my children and my wife. The Lord, that you would break my heart for the things that break your heart. That you would let me see the reality and condition of your bride and, and how she, she is dark but lovely. She is, she is beautiful, but she needs help. And Lord, that we would, our hearts would break for the lost, that we would recognize that we need this unbridled spirit to move with this wave of evangelism. We need sent ones again. We need messengers. We, Father, we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to, to send laborers. And God, we recognize that, that the crows are crowing. The things are, they're, they're barking at us and they're saying, but you, you've got your mortgage and you've got all of these things. And, and Lord, we know that those things are, are even good things and we need you. But God, we ask you for seed this morning. We ask you to show us what's the small step in the right direction. What's the seemingly insignificant thing that is a small seed that could move mountains? And Father, that we would learn from the wilderness and come out of the wilderness like Jesus, hungry and with power. 
Thank you that you don't want us to try to stir up hunger or stir up zeal according to our flesh, but you want us to come out of the wilderness and you want to baptize us in hunger and in power. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.